I kind of wish that that was our sex ed video in the sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might have done some good work, I feel like. I mean, yeah, I would have been like, yeah, I got to cut this thing off. Yeah, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. Although it wouldn't help with gun violence, though, unfortunately. Ooh, true. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. More phallic imagery for you. Uh, welcome, folks. This is Film Trace, a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. We are doing Future Wars uh, cycle. Uh, we're doing the 1970s Omega Man from 1971 and Zardoz from 1974. What a bizarre film. We have a special guest, Sean Patrick from Everyone's a Critic Podcast. Sean, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know what's going on with your podcast? Hey, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, Sean Patrick. Uh, I've been a professional film critic for about uh, 14 years, a member of the Critics' Choice Association. Uh, our podcast was called I Hate Critics, and now it is again. We just recently did change it back oh, yeah, to uh, yeah. the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. We also have a spinoff of that called I Hate Critics 1993, where we're talking about the movies that came out 30 years ago the same weekend. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been doing this. I've been writing online for over 20 years now and about... Love uh, it. 4,000 movie reviews. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, talk to us about the 1993. How's it going so far? I see your like remains of the day, get fearless. Any sort of like surprises from the 93 series you're doing? I would say the, the, the biggest surprise is that parody movies, there were four parody movies released that year. And really? they're the best movies of the year. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> the Fatal Instinct, the, the erotic thriller one. It is so funny. It's really? so funny. Oh I, I, it's got a terrible reputation, but but it is so funny. Uh, and I've like I said, all it. four of those movies, Loaded Weapon. Uh, and, and, I, I uh, do remember enjoying that one. Men in Tights, uh, all. They're Men all in Tights, fun. Yeah, and yeah, Hot Shot Part 2, of course. Yeah, and they're the best point. movies of the year. Uh, it's shocking. Like We just did Mrs. Doubtfire that'll drop later this week. We all yeah. hated it. We hated it with a passion. Yeah, really? It's I it's, saw it, it on a cruise ship about two months ago and was like, yeah, it didn't hold up on the cruise no. ship. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Uh, that's awesome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Do it. I've, been, uh, I've been looking for a reason to watch Zardoz, so... Yeah. yeah. My gosh. God. And you, and you do need, um, it is one of those movies where like you need a reason to watch it, right? Like, <laughs> I would say so, yeah. you don't just throw it yeah. on. It's not a casual watch. It's right. something like cash watch. Um, but you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. First, we got to talk about Omega Man. Um, what we like, what I like to do at least is to talk about our history with a movie. Uh, have you ever seen it before? Um, you know, when did you see it? All that kind of stuff. I, Omega Man, because I chose this. Didn't I choose these, Chris? You did. What the these. fuck? Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, so Omega Man, uh, I had seen maybe back in college. I can't remember why. Oh, I know why. Because 28 Days Later opens up with a single man walking through the city. Oh. Iconic. And then I heard that, like, oh, it's kind of inspired by the Omega Man. So I watched it in college, I think, in, like, the library basement alone. Uh, it was okay back then. Uh, on the second watch, the more recent watch in like the last week or so, ah, man, I like it a lot more. Really? Um, yeah. I kind of like this movie and it makes me feel weird that I like it so much. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I might be in the minority, but you guys go ahead. What's your history with the Omega Man? Uh, guests first, Sean Patrick. Yeah, go for it. 
I got I I watched it uh, not long after seeing the uh, Treehouse of Horror Simpsons episode. Right. Uh, Make oh, Man. Classic. Yeah. I, I wanted I didn't know what what it was referring to at the time, and I was like, "What is this about?" And I happened to be working in a video store at the time, and they had the Omega Man, so I was like, "I gotta I gotta see what this is about." And <laughs> just the idea of. Charlton Heston in this movie being, I mean, <laughs> the weird space that Charlton Heston is in in the early 70s in sci-fi films is so strange to me because he's not, he's this right-wing figure who is getting cast in these movies where he's having to play off of hippies or, or at least hippie ideology. Right. And it's yeah. totally uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> yeah, he never, he never feels like a good fit for this role whatsoever, but that's kind of why I like it for some yeah. reason. Chris, what about you? Did uh, you see this? No, I, I I have long avoided Charlton Heston films in general um, <laughs> throughout my life. I love uh, a lot of what's going on in early science fiction. The '70s feels like such a strange decade when it comes to like depicting the future because you have this. I mean, essentially. Austin Powers-esque kind of kitschy. It's like you have this, it feels like a netherworld stuck between like, we're going to end up talking about both Dr. Strangelove and Alphaville next episode, which is like, feels like a really unique kind of interesting counterculture take on the future in the sixties. And then in the eighties, um, which we discussed last episode, very kind of like high powered blockbuster. It's, I mean, it's a Jim Cameron episode through and through. And yeah. so the seventies is just like, I don't know. It feels like the whole genre like is giving up and it's just like, yeah. here, here's, a, here's some garbage. Hope you like it. It's uh, a, yeah, transition decade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so I've largely stayed away. And so yes, this was a first time watch for me. Um, I had seen bits and pieces of, of course, like Ben Hur and the Planet of the Apes original films. But uh, this is, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to complete. Be completely honest to to sit through this thing. Um, oh, interesting. I I like Richard Matheson's novel. I am Legend. I don't like the adaptation with Will Smith and I'm a huge fan of uh, both 28 days later and you know, the other kind of the, the general it's almost become a micro genre, like these last man on earth movies. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And also the show last man on earth um, (laughs) where, where, where it's become like its own trope and it's kind of a fascinating trope, but like I, you have to have a compelling protagonist otherwise that's not going to work and i just like from frame one it's like charlton heston like mouthing along with the words to the woodstock documentary and (laughs) i I didn't really understand that (laughs) shooting his rifle off every which way and i'm just like this is our hero really and (laughs) i could i just like could never i could never find an entry point yeah uh, i I feel that liking it I feel that. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I feel like and it, the, uh, he must have been like Connery was at the time, where tr- he just <laughs> got, he was been her for so long that he just couldn't find work eventually. And he just had to take what they were offering him. And it was these mm. movies like Soylent Green and Omega Man and Planet of the Apes. And he's Planet just taking Apes, all yeah. these bizarre roles just to, just to have work. And I don't think he understood any of the movies that he was making at the time. No, really he don't. clearly, yeah, he seems like he just wandered onto set with this movie. But for some <laughs> reason, I think that that works for me. Just because it's like, yeah, it, the whole thing feels so 
it's I, the movie's odd in the sense that you know you have to contextualize it. are coming out, you know, in 1971. The action sequences here, well, they appear to us campy and kind of like you know over the top. I think for back then they were pretty like you know unique and grandiose and kind of like a spectacle. I can still pick up on that um, from time to time. When you know in some of those earlier sequences of like you know like the helicopter crash and stuff like that. Yeah, it looks ridiculous, but like. Put yourself in like 1971. Everything looked ridiculous on film, especially with action movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I'll cut out some slack there, but I don't know what. I think one thing that I've never read the book, mm. uh, yeah, so either. I don't know. Mm. Sean Patrick, have you? No, 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 no. Chris, maybe fill us in like some basics about yeah. the, like what you well, like with differences and stuff like that. I mean. To, to be honest, like the Will Smith adaptation, I can't. I keep calling it the Will Smith adaptation because I don't know who directed that garbage. I don't um, know. I was going to say Gore Verbinski, but probably not. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, Gore Verbinski. Oh, Francis Lawrence. Uh, oh yeah, the Hunger Games guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like that. That is a lot more true to the novel. It's very much like pulp novel like it's very yeah. uh in similar tone and uh era to we briefly discussed the starship troopers novel right being nothing like yeah. the the 90s movie um and that's kind of what the vibe we're feeling here with uh um i am legend the novel versus the omega man um the but like the biggest thing that kind of stands out to me um that perhaps another reason though i could not find that entry point for the movie is uh, the novel I Am Legend was a huge inspiration um, for uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which is an yeah. interesting parallel that you bring up 28 Days Later, because obviously there that shares a lot of kind of homage DNA. So ultimately, and, you know, it's the, also pr- part of that classic like 70s, uh, you know, special effects problem where they are trying to do something like you said, a spectacle, but yeah. they kind of have to turn them into just like basically like guys who are afraid of the light and have bad skin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 the quote vampires or bloodsuckers as they are referred to in the novel um, are a lot scarier because it's you know it's kind of like you know it's a pulp novel so it's trying to shock you as well as like entertain you and so it it's just like gripping and exciting to read and that's why like this film just kind of like reads as like flat between mm-hmm. the kind of phoned in protagonist and the like limp-wristed uh, antagonists so i don't get any of the fun that's just like baked into the actual novel unfortunately yeah they, I think I can wait. see though where where somebody would like this. And t- I think it's camp. I think what, yeah. what Omega yeah. Man thrives on is camp, and it, it is a camp movie. It is easy to laugh at. That yeah. is true. There's a lot. Um, it's just so outrageous. Like everything about it is completely outrageous. like the the are they like vampires in the movie? They're not, are they? Aren't they just like albino mutants? <laughs> yeah, mutants is the word they use. <laughs> They're I mutants. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're vampires or not. <laughs> they don't seem like vampires. And um, I, the one thing I think what they try to do in this movie that really doesn't work is that he doesn't feel all that alone to me. Like versus yeah. like 28 Days Later or I Am Legend where he was felt very alone. Um, here he's like alone for a bit, but they're always around the mutants. Then he finds this other group of survivors, the children. So it doesn't, I don't know. I, 
that whole concept of last man on earth, he doesn't feel like the last man on earth because there's always people around. Right. You know, oh, there's like, you know, whatever, a bile mutants around. Um, and I don't know. I think for me, the draw here is that sure it's campy, but it's also just kind of like a fun genre, very genre sci-fi movie mm-hmm. about like, you know, a virus getting out like biological warfare. And this is what happens to the people. And it's kind of just like a fun, like imagination experience or like thought experiment. We are sort of like, what would happen if, you know, one guy was alive in Los Angeles and there were these mutants running around and he's like, Oh, but I do think that they really changed the ending, right. Yes. Uh, from the book. <laughs> and it's kind of completely different meaning. Because I don't remember specifically the book ending, but I think it's like he sort of realizes that he's the monster, right? Isn't the whole point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and here we literally get a you know crucifixion Jesus pose, right? Uh, Ooh, which yeah. I loved. I loved. I'm <laughs> I mean, I, you, I like Sean Patrick saying, like I can totally see watching this with uh, a big group um, late at night and it coming off totally different and having a great laugh at that crucifixion scene. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that like it, it, it kind of is this. I mean, we're talking about like living dead vampires. Is yeah. this the seventies version of Morbius? <laughs> we've we've got like people making. You've got I mean uh, yeah. filmmakers making a bad movie, and then they are realizing it's bad, and so they're like, "Wait, actually, it's camp." Like we meant, to be, like you know, like the whole Jared Leto reading the Morbin Time sequel script thing, and I don't. I don't buy it. I think that's the thing is like, I it's, it just feels sad because Charlton Heston is not in on the joke. And I, I, he's too evil of a man, especially with like the history of the decades that follow this movie behind him for me to kind of watch and be like (laughs) that goofy guy, Jesus. No, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I I don't buy Heston at all. I really truly don't. I think he just seems blinkered. He seems like he's kind of out of it. Mm. Uh, he he's deeply committed. Uh, he commits, and I, and I do appreciate that. But he's committed to something that that really doesn't require commitment. <laughs> it requires somebody who has a sense of humor, and he doesn't have one. Oh, zero. Yeah, he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to play it straight. But that's what makes it campy. Yeah, right? it's like yeah. that's what I can't tell. Was like was there intention here to make it over the top, or is it just because it's 1971 and they got thrown some money? And they had this adaptation. It, this almost feels like, hey, let's like write a script about from this novel, and it like ping pongs around for a long time, you know, like different writers and stuff, and ends up being whatever we see, which is a complete mess on screen. Right. And there's no one that would argue that the Omega Man is a like a solidly built film because it's just <laughs> so shoddy. Like everything about it, it just feels so like tossed together like it, it was probably like directed in the editing room you know it's like they mm-hmm. shot a lot did a lot of sequences and then they come back and i was like okay we got to paste something together i don't know i mean do you think there's a, there was any intention here on the camp side or the irony side 
It's hard to tell with this kind of movie, I think. I think especially because, I mean, at least Dan and I didn't live through the 70s. Uh, I'm not going to presume your age, Sean Patrick. but I was alive in the late 70s, but not very. (laughs) So having essentially like missed what that was like, it does feel like there's a lot uh, lost in translation between um, kind of what people expected from science fiction um, because there is that weird leap and we'll get into this in the season finale when we finally get back to the 50s where they had like lots of interesting conceptual things going on with monster movies and robot and alien films but Mm. they hadn't quite gotten there in terms of like actually putting it on screen in a convincing manner right like yeah that's a good point and I think that that that's kind of like there's a little bit of like like backsliding progress happening here, perhaps because I don't know. I'm curious. I have either, any either of you seen? I didn't even know there was another adaptation of Matheson's novel, literally called Last Man on Earth from '64 with Vincent Price. Vincent Price. I've never seen that. No. No, I, I've never. I didn't. I didn't know it existed until I was reading the Wikipedia for this movie. Same. I'm, one can so, only assume that it's way campier than this and it's got right. some price on it. And that's, and that's what I'm saying is like, it, I don't know. We, do you remember Dan? We, we had a, an episode where we talked about this uh, movie that um, uh, kind of was the start of, um, I don't know. It wasn't Joan Didion who was, who actually, who actually originally coined the term camp um, based on their writing about this movie we watched and discussed called uh, ride with the devil. Hmm. Um, oh yeah, 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 the Humphrey, the Bogart movie, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's okay. like, and like yeah, Bogart, right? Bogart's so drunk on screen that like it, it, it's very questionable whether or not that like <laughs> it seems like it's campy or it's just like a a a, a poor attempt at an adventure movie um, yeah. that happens to have Humphrey Bogart at the center. And I feel like that kind of thing's going on here, where it's like I could see Vincent Price just like hamming it up and having it be total fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's kind of perfect for it. He can, because he can kind of look down on the proceedings. He can, and you can sense he has such wit. Uh, Price always had great wit to what he did. I think he would be absolutely perfect for this role. Right. And I, and, and, uh, in advance of the, the Mike Flanagan series, uh, House of Usher, I watched the Vincent Price version of House of Usher and he totally crushes it. Just like every scene is ham fisted, but it feels like, that's its purpose. Mm, um, yeah. And, and I don't know. Uh, it been, I don't, I'm sorry to bring up Morbius yet again, but like <laughs> one of the ways in which Morbius could have been fun was if yeah. you didn't have a dirt bag as the protagonist. Jared right? Leto? Come on. <laughs> if, if Leto had a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, exactly. Maybe or he had any, an ounce of self-awareness. Which <laughs> yeah. Not, yes, none. None whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of blinkered, Jesus. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, going back to this this idea of can't, I don't know that. I'm looking at the director Boris Segal, I don't. He's <laughs> he's Russian, and you look at some of the stuff that he did on TV, and uh, yeah, the, he doesn't seem to have much of a sense of humor. <laughs> he seems like a guy who's pretty straightforward, and probably would have directed this in a pretty straightforward manner. Uh, just based on, I mean, he directed. He was part of the uh, directing team for Rich Man Poor Man, which is. Uh, yeah. Today you watch that and it's just so it's like daytime drama levels of over the top. I don't yeah. think he's the type of guy who would have approached this material with camp in his mind either. I think he would have approached it kind of the way that uh, that uh, Heston did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie does seem to be 
uh, like Chris, you were saying, like a regression. Because mm-hmm. when I see this, it reminds me of like them or like uh, like oh, a, yeah. a 50s sort of monster movie where it's almost zany. You know, it's like it's almost comedic um, mm-hmm. on some level, which is so bizarre about that is we in the, the 2000s episode, we talked about War of the Worlds, Spielberg's War of the Worlds. And like in that, you know, like you think about try to compare like the opening of Omega man versus the opening of war of the worlds. And it's just like night and day in terms of like the, the realism, the attempts at realism and like, you know, Spielberg's like making commentary on nine 11. And like, he says, it's kind of like the sequel to like saving private Ryan and like made this very grounded, gritty, naturalistic sci-fi movie. Whereas this is kind of the, I don't know when the, I don't know when the transition happened. But maybe, like, you look at, like, we did Terminator and Aliens for the 80s. Terminator seemed pretty grounded, right? That yeah, wasn't, I mean, like, yeah, Within its universe, yeah. Yeah, within mm-hmm. its universe. And, like, but Alien, what was that? What was Alien, 79? Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, try to compare this to Alien. I know, I know. And you're like, how is this the same, same decade. Yeah. yeah. It's like they're just so completely different universes in terms of, like, intention. Well, um, or bring up like Kubrick's Clockwork Orange, which is the exact same year as yes. Omega Man. Wow. Yeah. Like yeah. the the kind of and you know, two thousand one's three years prior. Like it's not that we didn't have filmmakers that knew how to like work within the confines of the decades, right? So right. I think you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head, Sean Patrick. Is like if you have a hired hand from Russia and you're <laughs> trying to adapt a pulp novel, and you put Charlton Frickin Heston in the center of it, like that's just it's a recipe for disaster. So my big question to you guys is why the hell has this movie stood the test of time? <laughs> I think I think people love the premise. I think they yeah. they're the fascinated by the idea yeah. of the the last man on earth and. Uh, you know, I think I think the premise it is a it's, it is a grabber. That's why the novel is so well remembered. That's why people keep going back to it to make more movies. It's got a solid premise. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think the that's the thing that drew me to it back in the day uh, when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this is like a really fascinating idea. If you're into you know post apocalyptic things, you know, we did the the road also in this series for mm-hmm. the 2000s episode. And, you know, not the last one, I don't know, but pretty darn close. Um, and it's like, yeah, there's something, I think there's something inherently interesting about thinking ab- about being alone in the world or one of the last few people alive and how that changes everything. How it changes yeah. how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, how you think about life. Um I- I think today, you know, when you look, when, if you're having that, if you're regularly having any conversations about climate change, you're constantly thinking about the potential for the end of the world. So, you know, looking true, at media true. that reminds you of what a post-apocalypse might look like, like, uh, it's that, there's a Don Johnson movie where it's just a boy and a dog. Like, that's, that's a good example of that genre, which is yeah. actually a, a weird, strange, kind of wonderful movie. Uh, those kind of movies where it's the last man on Earth and everything is gone uh, and there's only a few people left. You put it's easy to put yourself in that mindset and think about that because you're thinking about the end of your own world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I will want to uh, say since we talk about this e- e- concept of the last man on Earth story, 
I mean, I'm always curious because you knew it's you know it's going to happen, especially if you have seen I Am Legend or read the novel. Like he doesn't turn out to actually be the last man mm-hmm. on Earth. He doesn't also yeah. even turn out to be the last you know non mutant man on Earth, right? Yeah. And I, I, I will say there was a glimmer of hope for me, and I I don't know. I feel like she kind of gets it. Rosalind Cash as Lisa when yeah. she shows up in that ridiculous attempt to pretend to be a mannequin. Yeah. Uh, like there, there's glimmers there. They obviously have zero chemistry. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> She's in a completely different movie. Yeah. Right. But I'm actually like interested like, Oh, how did she like hook up with this? Like, uh, uh, you know, s- scientist that looks like Crocodile Dundee if he was into weed a lot. And then <laughs> <laughs> how did she, like, you know, become the protector of these children? Like, it's almost like, but then I just got, like, angry at the end of the second act because I was just like, God damn it, why wasn't this just, like, a movie about her character? <laughs> like, yeah. right? She's yeah. <laughs> a much more interesting and engaged character than he is. I know. And, and, I, and I had that moment where I'm just like, oh, I know I've seen this actress before. Where is she? She's in uh, Clute with Donald Sutherland. Amazing uh, film. Absolutely so amazing. good. And she's she has a bit role, but she's so good in that, too. Um, so it's it's too bad, really, that like, uh, you know, her it seems like her presence got squandered not only in uh, this movie, but kind of throughout her career. She kind of just went uh, back and forth between like, uh, you know, one episode of a sitcom and a long running role in general hospital and what have you. So, uh, good job. I'm once again, I'm blaming Charlton Heston for definitely to blame him. Um, (laughs) Should we, should we dive into Zardoz? Yeah, we, we gotta, it's gotta be a more even split because it's much more interesting. I don't even know (laughs) where to begin. Um, so, okay, here's the deal. I found this movie, I, I didn't know this movie existed, although I did, had seen the, like, screenshot of Sean yeah. Connery and his red Iconic thing. image, yeah. Iconic yeah. image. So I remembered that when I came across the screenshot, but I was just looking for kind of off-the-beaten-path sci-fi movies about the future and future wars, and I came across this one, and I was like, this perfectly fits our kind of theme, it's you know kind of something out there, not a movie that a lot of people a lot of people see. So I was like, let's dive into it. I started this thing, and I was like, what the f? Every <laughs> minute for the first half hour, I have not seen a movie this this strange in my life. I don't know about you, you guys know what this movie, seen it before. What's what sort of our take on our initial reactions to this thing? Sean Patrick, you were the one that was like, I'm, I want to pick to be on this episode because of Zardos. So <laughs> yeah. explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen it before this week. Never seen it before this week. I'd only seen Sean Connery's outfit. And mm-hmm. I always have wondered what possible context that outfit could z- exist within. And I yeah. still don't know what context. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. <nope. laughs> Unexplained. In, the, in a bandolier and panties. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand uh, thigh high boots. What was anyone thinking? <laughs> this, I uh, yeah, I, this feels like the product of some like a lot of heavy drug use. Oh yeah, I, I was just thinking when we were talking about Omega Man, like part mm. of the part of the part of the way that that movie and this movie come about is like it feels like it's a hangover from the 1960s. They did all the yeah. drugs. In the late 60s, and then in the 1970s, they're just kind of coming out of it, the hangover, <laughs> they're waking up, and like, I make, uh, yeah, make whatever you want, I don't, we gotta, I gotta, I gotta get up tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah, I gotta whatever. make some money. 
Uh, Chris, what about you? Did you know about this, see this before? No, no. I was super psyched that you picked it because I had only known the iconic image and I had always been like kind of curious from afar, but like never enough to actually seek it out. And when you put it on the spreadsheet, I was just like, all right, let's go. I'm, uh, I have to be ready for this. And just like some cursory research before I pressed play, I was just like, wait, this thing has like a proper like arrow video Blu-ray edition. Like this, I thought this was a bad movie and I was confused by like, um, not only the opening sequence, but finding out that it was directed by John Borman who did deliverance, but Which then is like a masterpiece. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the most tense rides you would yeah. have in, in watching a movie, uh, emotionally and otherwise. And I think that, uh, I also kind of had a weird setup because I had a um, I had never seen any of the Exorcist sequels. So this past October, yeah. I ran through them and saw Exorcist Two: The Heretic, directed by <laughs> Borman, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "Okay, this guy is absolutely insane." I cannot wait to see what Zardos actually ends up being. And so I was like, "You, Dan," I was like pressing play, and I'm just like. Is that like? Is this actually just like? I got like mega like David Lynch's Dune vibes watching yeah, this, yeah. and I was just like, but like even making less sense and without even less context because there's no you know source material uh, from which to better understand the world that we're thrown into here. And so yeah, it was a really unique experience. And um, dare I say, I kind of loved this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say like I um I was very I had like a, almost a level of disgust when I started it because <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt like existentially like had like existential vertigo. I was like <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I might be losing my mind. Oh, gosh. Yeah. but as I settled into it, I was like, you know what? There's here's the thing. I am always appreciative of an artist who uh has a unique vision mm-hmm. and has the will to to make it happen and to put it on screen and that's certainly what happened here right this is somebody who had some ideas you know inspired by lord of the rings uh and kind of went <laughs> off on a tangent and you know really just wanted to you know, it put his vision on screen and he was able to do it. I see, I don't think it's a failure in that sense. In the sense that like he did get what he wanted to get out there, but what he put out there was so bizarre and so strange <laughs> that like it, it's hard to tell if it's like successful in the sense of like he achieved what he wanted to, but so what, you know what I mean? Yeah. But what I was the appeal? I mean, what, what was the point <laughs> of any of this? But that, that's mean, the, yeah, that's the interesting. I, what do you think the point was, Sean Patrick? What do you, what I, do you got for this movie? I truly have no idea. Oh, like yeah. I, re- I was, I was did a lot of research for this one, and I heard the story that he was smoking a lot of pot at the time, and he yeah. had a very powerful agent who uh, used, you know, who leveraged that deliverance hit into getting him one point five million dollars and a green light that said, "Just do what you want," and. He was just really high, and he just knocked out the script, and he was going to have Burt Reynolds in it, and Burt Reynolds suddenly got sick, and then he landed on Sean Connery, and they went ahead and made the movie. And 
I what this is about though. I mean, <laughs> you you played that clip of like the the gun is good, the penis is bad, mm-hmm. and right. what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All of the exposition so, happens like off the screen. <laughs> like he's been he's been bred from the past to now to be built to kill the future. I what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's dig in because yeah, I am so kind of all about this kind of dream logic pastiche nonsense, and mm-hmm. part of the fun for me anyways, is like trying to find some kind of uh, pattern and resemblance of meaning amongst the chaos. Because Mm. there's like, like you were saying, Dan, it's like one of those films that the more you, I think the way you put it is perfect. It's like you, it, it, it wants, it almost like entrances you with how disgusting it is until like there is some kind of, turning point where it pivots and you're just like all of a sudden i don't know am you're i crazy invested. you get invested. Uh, yeah. yeah i'm like oh my god i'm gonna be like an hour in I was yes like, exactly yeah. and i'm just I was like, like wait a second okay <laughs> this is, yeah suddenly the world makes sense and i'm just like how because this made no sense five minutes ago because <laughs> you have to learn the language right what? he's like creating a, a visual like emotional <laughs> intellectual language and like by the time you get to an hour in, you're like you've bought into the basic premise of like here are the Eternals and here are the whatever the hell they're called, mm-hmm. uh, the Brutals, yeah. yeah, the Brutals, and he's an exterminator, Terminator, whatever it is. And it's like okay, but to me, what plays well? It's very, I mean, very sexual film in a way yeah. that like very horny, very horny yeah, movie, very horny movie <laughs> in a way that you just don't get nowadays. And I'm like, no. oh. This is kind of fun. Like that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it. I don't know. There's. Uh, will I ever watch this movie? No. Like, oh, I'm going no, to. There's no chance <laughs> in hell I'm going to watch this thing. Uh, but I just like the fact that it exists. You know, and like, I, here's it's the type of movie where like if I have a good friend and they haven't seen it, I'd be like, let's just sit down and watch this together. Yes. Let's experience yes. this together, and I want to see their face and like their like reactions, and as they're sort of like their mouth just like goes wide open, and you're just like, yeah, just go with it, just let it happen. Like, like an early throw, early two thousands throwback to two girls, one cup. You're just watching people, yes. watching yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, watching the reactions of the horror on on the screen. Uh, but yeah, there there is something about it that's kind of charming in a way. Mm-hmm. that it's like how did you i mean there's a lot of things that are fascinating about it like how did this get made yeah yeah like Power, this Power is 20th Rangers. century yeah. fox like <laughs> I, it's so, just uh, like how is sean connery on set going through this that doesn't make any sense right how did they get him in that outfit how did they get him in the wedding dress how did they man just convince him and he seems game for it all totally I mean, just all he of seems he's into all it. in <laughs> yeah, no, no, then, he's he's not shy about it, but he's not also not like camming it up because that's not Sean Connery's thing. No. So, like the thing that really worked for me uh is that you have this kind of he, he's basically treated like an avatar, right? But he's also treated like an other. And yeah. so I'm getting like heavy vibes from the the Wizard of Oz stuff. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Because that reveal was nuts. Dude. Um, I, I, I was I was so like, I can't imagine what I would have 
been like if I had seen this at a formative mm-hmm. age. Because, oh no! Like, oh god! Oh, if yeah. I saw this in my twenties, it would have ruined me for like. <laughs> <a second. laughs> but essentially, like it, it's, it, I think what's so in- impressive, and I, I'm sorry to bring back David Lynch again, but like he also had a Wizard of Oz fixation. Um, oh yeah, albeit mm-hmm. in the eighties, and I think that that's such like a fascinating kind of uh, touchstone text for these kinds of filmmakers that you know on one side of the equation just like get totally smoked out and then write a screenplay and on the (laughs) other side of the equation like get deep into transcendental meditation and write a screenplay and you're kind of seeing this like two sides of the same coin thing going on here where essentially that's perhaps like the ultimate allure of the wizard of oz story is this kind of concept of the false god of the journey back home and i mean i'm curious like uh, it, it, is there a war going on here to bring us back to the theme yes technically <laughs> yeah but like yeah. it's it's interesting how it's like played out in the background mostly mm-hmm. or like in illusion and reference because the majority of the narrative is focused on like this experiment or obsession over the brutal and like is it deserving of the eternals attention is it and like they keep referring to sean connery as an it right like right yeah. it, it it feels it feels so like simultaneously unusual and almost like fairy tale-esque that you i think that's part of like that attraction is like it's got so much of those and the i mean and the horniness like mm-hmm. it's got like so many like immature aspects to it but also this really complex seemingly and arguably nonsensical you know mechanisms of bringing the plot together not to mention all the stuff going on with like the fucking tabernacle and shit like you don't be i think that's the thing that's refreshing and i think it's refreshing particularly after watching omega man which kind of plays that whole last man on earth trope beat by beat mm-hmm. by beat especially if you've seen or read i am legend especially if you kind of know what to expect from like a schlocky 70s movie and yeah there feels like there's no no invention there right. whereas here this is constant it's like invention yes. right totally Just like totally an orgy of invention <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you- i mean that's the thing that like i like about this movie yes, is yes. it's you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking, I was sitting here thinking about what is this, like, what is it about this movie that strikes me? And, that, and I would go back to that. There's that opening sequence. And granted, he added that afterwards at the behest of the studio. That. Right. But uh, the, the whole Arthur Frayne opening where he refers to cinema, where he starts talking about movies. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. you kinda, it kind of is like the whole thing does kind of feel like a deconstruction of film culture, or at least the culture of film up until the 1970s, if you really want to drill down on it in a very macro level, like there is an element here of people frozen in time, which, you know, kind of when you look back at movies of the 40s and 50s, those people are essentially frozen in time. Like there's an element there. He's like, like he's reaching for something. You're not getting there, but he's reaching for something. Yeah. And you, you can feel the, the reaching and the attempt and, Sometimes that's enough, I think, especially on the heels of uh, watching so many movies, not just from the 70s, but, you know, including modern film that just like feels so entrenched in formula and, uh, you know, predictability. 
And so to have this, I don't know, I, I was kind of getting definitely not on like a cosmic or spiritual level, but I was getting some 2001 a Space Odyssey vibes because you have a lot of uh, kind of bigger questions at play with like, you know, ev- even on a, like a very obvious uh, correlation, the the embryo getting like starting over again, right? That mm-hmm. like death is impossible because we're constantly being reborn, even when we destroy ourselves. Um, it's just like such a hodgepodge that even if it doesn't totally work on a serious level, the camp combined with the amount of invention is enough to be like, I'm, I'm glad I spent that. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I, the, the, movie, the movie where uh, Sean Connery looking like Burt Reynolds in a red thong <laughs> is actually kind of cool. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I was kind of happy that Burt Reynolds' mustache made it onto Sean Connery. That's great. Yeah, exactly. good that they helped, kept that through line. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think, yeah. Which, I think I did find one keystone for this that might might kind of unlock it a little bit, and I don't know if Borman's ever talked about this, but I do wonder if he saw El Topo or maybe yes. even Holy Mountain Holy before Mountain. he went into yeah. this, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of Jodorowsky style in this. Right. Maybe, maybe this is Jodorowsky's Dune. And we just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, that's a really good point because I think going back to this question of like seventies as being a transition decade, like there was a lot of big, obvious, loud stuff going on with spectacle, but there was so much more interesting things happening with like the age of New Hollywood, and you know, this is you know the birth of uh, Scorsese and so many of the other new masters that. Like, it's clear here that, I don't know, Zardos feels like it fits in this kind of weird, like, crevice between an auteurist, like, vision that is incredible and complete trash. And that's <laughs> that's kind of what makes it so cool, is like, I can't think of anything else like it, except the more experimental stuff that doesn't have Sean Connery in a thong, though maybe it should have. Maybe he that would have improved. No, I can't say that with a straight <laughs> um, I mean, I'll that see. guy's wearing a diaper throughout most of uh, Holy Mountain. So <laughs> Good <I> point. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, is there a parallel here to Southland Tales? Anybody? <laughs> you got to bring in Southland you know, Tales. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like just a weird just, visionary yeah, filmmaker doing like, what he uh, wants. Yeah, I'm thinking of the yeah, like a. Uh, a proven filmmaker who follows up a near masterpiece with oh, yes. a self-indulgent, crazy sci-fi mm, whatever um, that, that is so full of ideas. Like, that's the one thing I got out of this, too. Like, it, when you're watching it and trying to make sense of it, um, you're trying to sort of pick apart the philosophical viewpoints that he's bringing up constantly in all these different contexts. And there's a lot going on here. And it's not just like some simplistic sort of, um, you know, like thoughts on violence and gender and sex. And it's not, I don't, I didn't find it was very simplistic at all. There's a lot of nuance and layering to go to the viewpoints. Is it bonkers? 100%. (laughs) Does it make sense? Not entirely. But it's almost like the first draft of a philosophical paper. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, and then after he did the LSD or something, and it, he turned into a graphic novel. But you know what I mean? It, it's just a weird amalgamation of high art, low art. 
which is why it's yeah. perfect postmodernism, right? It's yeah. just like, there's yes. like, it's kind of, there's some porn in here a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's like, you know, vicious violence. Uh, and there's just like weird, uh, zany stuff going on. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a romp. It's a fun movie. Definitely. Um, and it's I never seeing. want to watch it again, but I absolutely agree that it is fun. Like I had a great time watching it. I'm never going to sit through it again. <laughs> I had a great time while I watched it. Yeah, it's surprisingly enjoyable. So if you haven't seen it, uh, buckle up and <laughs> you know just take it for a spin. Did you guys? Did you guys see what Roger Ebert said about this movie? No, Ooh, what he said. Yeah, do tell. So his op- the opening line of his review, he calls this movie quirky. 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 What? Yeah. <laughs> an understatement. Jesus. That is a desperate understatement. <laughs> but my favorite thing that I did research on in this was re- I, I saw an interview on, on YouTube with John Borman talking about this movie. And he was talking about them putting it back out on or remastering it to put it out again. And he was asked, uh, they, the, the studio wrote him an email. And they wrote to me and said they were re- restoring Zardoz. And I said, why? and he said that he goes on to say it's one of those films that went from being a failure to a classic without ever passing through success (laughs) uh that's wonderful that's that's the british wit right there what a great guy what it just makes me love this even more yeah oh man that's the right that's the, I was just gonna say, that's the that's the right attitude, uh, considering for me, anyways, having just watched Exorcist Two: The Heretic, because you know maybe maybe I know it's it, maybe it's uncouth to say just on the heels of his death, but like, is it possible that Friedkin was taking it a little too seriously, and maybe <laughs> Borman was kind of trying to inject some insanity to it, not because that was you know, the best choice for the franchise, but because like, if you're going to make a sequel to an iconic horror movie, you might as well have some fun with it. Right. I mean, this movie is definitely on the same wavelength. Exactly. He he clearly likes to have a good time. But then, but he also made deliverance. What the fuck? Like, is he just one of the darkest movies (laughs) I've ever seen? Oh, weird. Uh, such a strange career. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think The stuff, Exorcist 2 yeah. is terrible. I think it's a terrible movie, but it is, again, <laughs> it's a terrible movie that's fun to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And oh he kind gosh. of like doesn't... What does he do after this? Hope and Glory? You guys ever seen that in 87? I've never no. seen it. No, I don't remember. I don't, re- I don't don't recognize a lot of his films from the 90s uh, into the Taylor of Panama, I guess, would be one. Yeah, Taylor of Panama is a, a pretty good movie. Jeffrey Rush is a really great in that yeah. movie but no like the emerald forest hope and glory I, where the heart is i think i've seen but uh, i'm not sure it's really uh, i've kind of i'm kind of lost on trying to remember that one i kind of want to watch excalibur now though right and, uh, I've, heard, I've heard amazing things about that and considering it comes off the heels of exorcist 2 uh, it makes it that much more interesting yeah it looks really fascinating now anybody who can make a movie like zardoz uh you kind of have to like it, as long as it's a movie where he's like out there doing something different it, it's probably worth checking out just for the entertainment value absolutely but it does not seem like he uh dipped his toes into horror or science fiction again right doesn't look like it. Not really. Yeah, he seems to have stepped out of the uh, out of that particular genre. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it does seem like uh, this kind of. I'm. I'm curious because we're looking at this from that uh, zoomed out lens again. If we're thinking about the ways in which um, 
different decades, filmmakers kind of viewed the future and this idea of like warfare or conflict, revolution, oppression, dictatorship. Uh, I think that's one of the things that kind of stands out about the 70s. And maybe once again, it could be as simple as just saying it was the drugs idiot. But (laughs) did you like the vibes I'm getting from both of these movies? If there is any kind of overlapping uh, characteristic besides their the decades that they were released in, is it kind of trying to suggest or explore this notion of like in the in the future when things get really dark and unusual and humanity becomes less human, we're still going to be fucking. <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely a theme of of these. (laughs) You think that you look at both of them and it's like the way they view the future is so um, it's so odd and disconnected from their present. You know, anytime we watch, we talk about these new movies. It's always like the future is obviously a reflection of what they're going through in the time, right? Mm -hmm. But with these, it it feels as though like Zardoz especially. It's almost like he thinks the future is going to be a lot of conversations about morals and like, <laughs> right? You yeah. Know, like, like, and maybe that was something that was going on back in the seventies. But like, you look at more recent films, thinking about the future, like we did the Creator, and it's like, n- I don't know. There's something about that time period in the seventies where there was there had to be a lot of self reflection going on about society in general, at least in America or whatever. Because, yeah, very sort of heady stuff. I mean, Omega Man, eh, less so. Kind yeah. of like whatever. Omega Man's kind of like a, a genre programmer. I think they made that for yeah. drive-ins. Like, <laughs> exactly. Just to, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. almost yeah. like an exploitation. Yeah. Like uh, this one, Zardoz, was made by a guy who was like, I, I'm making this movie. I'm making it my way. I've got a very unique vision for it. And this is what's happening. And his future is sort of like, it's fantasy. Like it's, yeah. it's like Lord of the Rings, his own version of Lord of the Rings. I was like, ah, that's Wild an interesting fantasy. take. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's so bizarre. You just kind of have to see it. It's like a midnight movie. It's the perfect midnight movie to play at like a, you know, a movie theater, like an arty one. Oh, but, definitely. Uh, it's, uh, it's something else. Uh, <laughs> trivia. Yeah. Let's, trivia. let's jump into it. Uh, it's so weird to look at the 70s in terms of not just science fiction writ large, but also like trying to find that element where it's like, this is how it's going to go down when like people start turning on each other. So I'm very curious to see if you guys notice any similarities in uh, not only the films we just discussed, but amongst these five movies that are going to be the answers to... Film Trace Trivia. So, John Patrick, real quick, uh, the rundown is pretty simple. These are other movies from the 1970s that at least loosely fit into our theme of future wars. And uh, I'm going to give you keywords, five of them. I'll list them slowly and see who can name the correct film first. And it's all five. So, we'll see if you beat Dan. And I hope you do because he's won the last couple and his ego is getting a little out of control. Uh, Gotta (laughs) pop it like a balloon. (laughs) Okay. Um, Number one Amusement Park, Mm -hmm. Androids, Westworld. Yeah, there you go. Good. I'm going to get crushed. Yeah, that was a layup. Where were you, Dan? Um, I prefer the TV series. 
Oh God! Oh, <laughs> uh, like four seasons of it. Um, in in my quick research for that, quick side note, I did not know that there was <laughs> two sequels to the original Westworld film. Yeah, Future World oh, really? and Beyond Westworld. Oh, uh, so I don't know. Might dig into that. We'll see. Okay, next. Uh, this one is not as easy, but maybe still relatively so. <clears throat> Supercomputers, the Energy Corporation. Mm-hmm. The executive committee, the futility of individualism, hmm. gladiator fight on wheels, hmm. Mad Max. Not bad. Yes, not a bad guess at all. Uh, this film was also remade in two thousand two. Hmm. Gladiator hmm. fight on wheels. Is it that forgettable? Oh, oh, Death Race, isn't it? Is it Death oh, Race? not those kind of wheels. Ah, darn it. Wait. Um... This was a dystopian science fiction sports film by Norman Jewison. Oh. Rollerball. Uh, Rollerball. Roller yeah, there we go. Uh, is that oh, remade? Like, I forgot they remade that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a um, terrible remake. It I'm is sure one it of is. the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Um Okay, that's okay. Uh, technically, that goes to Sean Patrick. So it does. He gets a 2-0. 2-0, 2-0. Here we go. Um, do I want to do a hard one again or something easier? Let's go with easier. Um, Ilium, New York. Tralfamador. Fourth Dimension. Hmm. The Firebombing of Dresden. Vietnam. Adaptation of another famous dystopian novel. Hmm. I got nothing. Oh my gosh. Ilium, New York was also a setting in this novelist's other works that took place in the future. Catch 22? You're so close. The other one. Oh, Cat's Cradle? No, no, not. Okay, you're... mm. Further away? Further away now. But... Oh, darn it. Number in the title... Oh, uh. <laughs> same author as Cat's Cradle. Oh, I should know this. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we read this in high school together, Dan? Probably. Okay, uh, the, we're gonna. I gotta call the mulligan on this, unless you have a final guess. No, it is Slaughterhouse Five. Oh, oh okay. what? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've actually read that too. I know, right? Maybe it's, it's been, been a while. I've forgotten it years ago. It's been a while uh, for me. I should have firebombing Dresden. That's like firebombing Dresden. Yeah, because he was actually went through it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Semi autobiographical. Yikes! Um, not a not a good movie though. Book is incredible though. Uh, okay, here's one that uh, will make you guys uh, lose faith in me in even more, perhaps. Cool. Um, <laughs> cool. Love it. <laughs> Vandenberg Air Force Base. Odd Man Hypothesis. United States Senate Committee on Space Sciences. <sighs> Cultures and Growth Medium. Silent Green? Oh, good guess, no. And last but not least, Sterno. It's <clears throat> right like there. In, it's right there. Life Force, but that's the 80s. Is it's it Silent in, Running? Oh, that's another really good oh, guess. That's a good guess. Yeah. Um, similar to Westworld, it's a Michael Crichton adaptation. 
Oh, uh, a, something strain. Yeah, what is it? A, a, Andromeda a strain. Yeah, yeah Andromeda strain. okay. I gotta, I gotta give you halvesies on that one, guys. Yeah, yeah. half point. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay. Point. No, oh my gosh. And last but not least, uh, I'm not sure if anybody's really seen this movie, but uh, it's a personal favorite of mine, and I'm going to tell you to give uh, you a little, weird. Bit of, give you a little bit of a handicap. It's animated. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> Nuclear War, Trolls, Fairies, Elves, and Dwarves. Seventies. Mm-hmm. Nazi propaganda. Oh, Chris! Psychological warfare. No, yeah. not the wall, but very once again, same kind of vibe. Obviously, seventies animation that's dark mm-hmm. as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, teleportation. No idea. I'm not uh, up on my 70s animation. That's okay. It's maybe the only 70s animation I know besides The Wall. Uh, but Mark Hamill was a voice in it, and it was made by a guy named Ralph Bakshi, who is kind of a uh, uh, Hollywood animation uh, scoundrel of sorts because he um, was uh, kind of the main guy behind Fritz the Cat, the only... Uh, widely released pornographic animated film i'm gonna <laughs> kick myself because i like dan olson did an uh, incredible video uh, video on bakshi and and i know okay. he mentioned this movie but i don't remember it yeah oh man i highly recommend it it's called wizards wizards okay yeah, yeah. It's from 77 and it is a wild ride and i actually uh, i did i wanted to mention it when we were talking about zardos but i couldn't because i knew it was a trivia answer um <laughs> if you are fascinated like i almost think wizards works better than Zardos did in finding that kind of like weird crevice in between brilliant and batshit because there is this really kind of um beautiful darkness to the animation that almost elevates it above you know what you could do with live action so i would i would would definitely recommend uh, uh seeking that out thank you so much Technically, on a half point technicality, Sean Patrick is the winner. Good work. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Good <laughs> um, thank you for being here, Sean Patrick. It's been really fun talking about the wacky world of the '70s science fiction films with you. I uh, it was a lot of fun, and you know, like I said, I was looking for an excuse to watch Zardoz, so this turned out great for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you got coming up on the yeah. podcast? And I hate critics. We're going to be talking about uh, the new Nicolas Cage movie uh, it's coming out this weekend that now, of course, the title would escape me. It's a, a dream scenario. A dream uh, scenario. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's we're talking cool about that. Hell. Yeah. I botched our, our last new episode in the recording, so we're going to be talking about Saltburn again, myself and okay. my co-host Jeff. Um, nice. So, yeah, that those are, those are two. And uh, Godzilla Minus One was coming up. Very cool, man. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Thank you so much once again. This has been Film Trace. Film Trace.